to another episode of the Feminist Survival Podcast uh, in our series of how to listen to your body. Today, we're going to go on the next step of my journey, which was understanding proprioception. My understanding of that word is that it's your internal experience of understanding how big your body is, how much space it takes up, where you are in relation to other objects around you, other people around you. Is that, did I get it at all close, Emily? Yeah, it's about your body's position in space. Yeah. If you've ever had an experience of vertigo, that's a failure of proprioception, right? Yeah, it's one of one sort of like subtype, yes. Well, yeah, okay, good. Like, for example, there was one time in college when I was very, very sick and I fainted on my way from the bathroom back to bed and it was in a dark room and I did not realize that I had fallen until my head hit the ground because I didn't... Yeah, that's a really good example, yeah. Yeah, I didn't feel myself falling. Because why? And I didn't have any... Because it was a dark room, I didn't have any visual information to tell me I was falling. Right. Wait, why did you fall? I was sick. I fainted. Oh, and you didn't feel yourself falling? I didn't feel myself falling, no. Wow, that's fucked up. Have I mentioned I have alexithymia? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so for people who want to, like, just understand... At the simplest level, what proprioception is, the first time I got taught about it as an undergrad, here is the little test we did in the classroom. The professor says, okay, hold your arms out straight to your sides and make pointer fingers. You got it? Mm-hmm. Now close your eyes. Mm-hmm. With your right fingertip, touch your nose. Mm-hmm. And go back out. Okay. With your left fingertip, touch your nose. Hold on, I can put, I gotta put my coffee down if I'm gonna do my left. Okay. Boop. Boop. How's that? Boop. Well, I missed slightly the first one with each hand, and then the second one, and when I went back again, I got it exactly right on the tip of my nose. Yeah, you learned. Yeah. Yeah, That that's how it goes. And then you can do the same thing. Okay, so uh, put your hand on top of your coffee cup. Okay. And then close your eyes. Mm-hmm. And from there, touch the tip of your nose. Boop. Oh, my... Coffee is not in a stable location where I can un... Okay, there. Okay. Boop. Okay, okay I did it. Okay, you're touching your nose? Well, n- no, I, I had to go back to stabilize my coffee, but now I'm touching my nose. Touching your coffee. Close your eyes. Touch your nose. Then pick up your coffee cup. Oh, yeah, that's no problem. Well, there you go. <laughs> you're aware of your body in space. And even things that aren't me that are around me. Yeah. So like you can do a more difficult example of this. If you go from just looking at your coffee cup, close your eyes, touch your nose, and then pick your coffee cup up. Like how specifically can you pick up the cup in order? Like what is the destination? What is the finger position required to pick the cup up? Okay. I even did it with my right hand because I've been doing all this stuff with my coffee with my left hand. So I, I closed my, I looked at my coffee, I closed my eyes, and I picked up my right hand, even though my coffee's actually sitting on my left knee, and then I nailed my nose, boom, tip my nose, and then I, bam, I reached for the top of my coffee cup to wrap my fingers around the brim, because it's got a curve and it's easy to hold around the brim, mm-hmm. and, and I nailed it. I got it exactly right the first try. See, this is awareness of your relative position in space. Awesome. And I don't totally suck at it. I can learn. Although I dare say I'm better than I used to be. Yeah. And you learn without knowing that you're learning. I learned while I knew I was learning. I learned consciously. Okay, here's what happened. 
In 2008, the same year I was starting my doctorate in conducting, the Olympics were held in China, and I saw the opening ceremony where there were just hundreds of people practicing Tai Chi as part of the ceremony. And I looked at that and I thought, I don't, I don't know what that is or what they're doing or what's behind any of that, but whatever it is, it looks like a thing a conductor should be able to do. And then I kind of forgot about it because I started my doctoral degree and then I was hospitalized with stress-induced illness and I was supposed to be like relaxing and you were like, no, you need to learn to get in touch with your repressed rage. And I was like, oh, that sounds really hard. So I started practicing Tai Chi under those circumstances. I was I was five months out of the hospital and there was a a woman in town who would give like private kind of Qigong Tai Chi lessons. And I started working with her and I liked it. And I wanted to know more about like the background of why and how and what. So I took some like actual workshops that were about like how to instruct Tai Chi that would tell us why to do the things that Tai Chi does because it's, I don't know, for some reason I can't just deal with the thing. I have to know why I'm dealing with the thing, but that is really helpful for me to know why the thing works. And I loved it. Um, Tai Chi is, can be done sitting down, standing up, lying down. Well, I mean, Qigong, um, which is what Tai Chi is like a branch of Qigong Qi work. It's about moving energy, blah, blah, blah. But it's also about noticing what's happening in your body, which nobody ever told me before. And I didn't even understand that yoga was about noticing what was happening in your body, which I, Emily, did you know that yoga was about noticing what was happening in your body? No, you, you think everything is about noticing what's happening in your body because you can't not notice everything that's happening in your body. That's correct. Well, I finally, somebody told me explicitly, Tai Chi is about noticing what's happening in your body. <laughs> and like the very first exercise of stand on your feet and feel the weight of your body pressing into the floor and notice how much weight is on each foot and kind of shift back and forth and try to notice when you have 100% of your weight on one foot and zero on the other foot, and then try to go back and notice when it's 90, 10, 80, 20, 70, 30, 60, 40, 50, 50. Try to see if you can find 50, 50, and then overshoot it and go to 60, 40 again with the other foot with 60%, and then come back to 50, 50. Like that, mm -hmm. noticing my weight, pressing into the floor and how much weight, and then not just each foot, but like the ball of your foot versus the heel of your foot. And rocking slightly back and forth to feel my weight on my toes and you can go 100% of your weight on your toes you can't go 100% of your weight on your heels you fall over but you can you know find the percentage and feel where it is and that exercise alone I do this with my choirs now um, is so effective at I mean literally grounding me and letting me know hey I'm in a body <laughs> it's really effective um, and it's really fascinating. And um, there's a lot of Tai Chi movements, forms that are about shifting weight from one foot to the other. So that's a that's just a constant thing that you're doing the whole while well, your arms are busy doing other stuff. And, you know, but always for me, it's about like noticing what my feet are doing and coming back to my weight pressing into the ground. And then as part of the like extension of the Tai Chi philosophy, like when your weight presses into the ground, you know, 
every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So the, the ground is pushing back up at you with the same amount of force. And that sort of energy into you is also happening. And that energy comes not just from like the, the building floor that you're in, but the surrounding earth that that building is being supported by. And the, you know, the town that it's in, the tectonic plate that it's a part of, and the planet that that plate is a part of, and the universe that that planet is a part of, right? It It is always entertaining to me that you take something that is, like, really fundamental to living in a human body, and it only makes sense to you when you go all the way up to the scale of, I live in the universe. Really? But yeah. Because I, I thought everybody had to do that. No, I literally just live in a body. <laughs> well, it's very helpful to me to remember that I live in a universe. Well, good. You know, whatever works. And this thing that I'm doing where I'm sensing where are my feet and where do they come in contact with the universe is really helpful for me, not just to understand where I am in this room, um, you know, what does my weight feel like in my feet, but also who am I and my existence here, this thing I'm doing right now, is a little fractal representation of the same thing that's going on everywhere between all objects, and I am the same as them. Yeah. So this goes a little beyond proprioception, but it's what it took for me to start to understand proprioception, which is shocking considering I'm a conductor and I've been standing in front of ensembles for decades at that point. And I had like a, I had rules about where my arms needed to be and where my weight should be, but I was following rules. I didn't really feel what was right by instinct. And only after Tai Chi was I like, oh, I, oh, this is, how my body feels when it takes up this much space and then eventually start to relate like how that changes when I'm in different emotional states. And are you aware? So one of the things that so my, my job in these conversations is to be the sort of like basic nerd. How does this mechanism actually function in your organism? And one of the things I have recognized is that I am so aware of, for example, interoception. Interoception is awareness of your like, internal body sensations like your digestion and your heartbeat and stuff like that yeah we talked about it last time right exactly and i'm so intuitively aware that i don't necessarily notice a specific sensation like my digestion like when i was uh in high school and i noticed my stomach and i went oh i'm nervous that's rare usually i just like have a body awareness and i know what it means yeah you don't have to spend a minute thinking, what's that? Breaking it down into pieces. And right. so I've, uh, proprioception is like that for me, and I don't know if it's like it for you. So do you know what the physical mechanism in your body is? That in the same way, we talked about uh, the surface of your skin having a lot of different kinds of nerve endings, like for light touch and deep touch and vibration and nociception. And remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Temperature. So there's proprioceptors deeper in your body they're not in your skin they're in your muscles mm -hmm. and your joints and your tendons mm. and it is flexion of these that communicates information about 
the position of your limbs and like how fast your body parts are moving, how much weight is on it, like you were talking about, 40%, 60%. Are you, in the same way that you have to be aware piece by piece of your internal sensations, are you aware piece by piece of like this limb doing these things? I feel it in a tendon. I feel it in a muscle. I feel it in a joint. I know. Okay. I, I, I feel my feet... And I can, I get a whole message altogether of, that means this is where my body is. Okay, yeah, good. Well, like, what, what I teach my students is, you know, we stand tall. This is how I begin rehearsals. Standing tall with your feet hip-width apart, create a straight line from your ankles to your knees to your hips to your shoulders. Let your knees flex because your knees are connected to your hips and your ankles, and that's going to allow all those joints to flex together. Fantastic. Find a point where they're not locked and not going to collapse. And then allow from there there to be created a straight line from your hips. Your hips are the place where your the joint where your leg meets your pelvis. And so you're going to stack your shoulders on top of that. So there's a straight line from your ankles to your knees to your hips to your shoulders. And then let your shoulders drop down and feel how much space there is between your armpits and your earlobes. That's the whole body like and now we're aligned recitation that I do at the beginning of rehearsals. Okay. And that, for me, that, for me, I can do that because I've practiced it and because I've studied Alexander technique for, I took a semester in undergrad and then I took private Alexander lessons when I was doing my doctorate. Actually, before I did Tai Chi, I did Alexander, which is the same kind of thing of like proprioception, interoception and under all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But I never really, the, Alexander wasn't enough for me. Tai Chi went further into like the whole philosophy of how and why. And that, that's the thing that clicked for me. But e- yes. So when I instruct my students about aligning their bodies and finding balance and ease and buoyancy as they sing, I give those kind of instructions of how to do that. But as they learn and get better, as soon as they plant their feet on the floor, the rest of their body goes into line. And I don't have to say the whole thing out loud. It just happens. Does that, does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. And it's also interesting to me because uh, you're a singer and you conduct singers and vocal modulation is proprioception. Modulation is loudness? Yeah. Yeah. One of the things my assessor asked me, my autism assessor asked is... Do I sometimes find myself talking too loud? And the answer to that is I, I absolutely used to, um, but I've got, you know, t- 15 years of, of professional vocal training, microphone training. Like I, I have learned and I consciously choose vocal modulation. It, I'm better. It comes more naturally now. I don't always have to consciously choose, mm-hmm. uh-oh, I better talk quieter now. But it is frequently a conscious decision. Yeah, I talk too loud. Yeah, you do. And much too fast. But the the talking too loud is, like, definitely a thing. Because I get excited. I get excited and I have to move away from my microphone because I'm so excited. No, it's not just that, though, for you. Because you, I think, when you're in a space that's big, I think you try to talk into the space. And this is a very common thing. This is, I have to teach singers. We go from our small rehearsal room to our large performance room, and their instinct is to is to shout into the room to sing bigger yeah. because the space is bigger and you do that too. 
Oh, I, yes, I definitely do. Even if you're just talking to me, I'm two feet away from you and you're But the room is so big! But the room is so big and you don't realize that I'm your only audience and I'm right the fuck here. I can hear you And a big room also tends to be noisy and, uh... Right. But if somebody's two feet away from you, they can hear you if you speak normally. It's fine. Yeah. And usually, usually, if someone's talking too loud in a crowded room like that, it could suggest that they have uh, hearing loss. That they're talking loud because they can't hear. Yeah. No, I have great hearing. I had my hearing tested when I was assessed for my vestibular disorder, which we should probably talk about that. Yeah, we should definitely talk about that. So there's, we talked about extraception. We talked about interoception. Now we're talking about proprioception. One of the reasons people struggle to understand proprioception is because our brains are so good at coordinating it with our other sensory inputs, like especially vision and our balance, our inner ear, the vestibular system. So if you want to, and also sound, if you want to walk in the dark, the only reason you can do that is because of proprioception, awareness of your body in space without any visual input. The reason you can walk without, like, looking at your feet. The reason you can walk down the stairs is because of awareness of your body in space and being able to, like, know where the steps are and act in a way that's going to put your foot there with the appropriate degree of force. Does that make sense? Yes. And I'm thinking of the trouble I have walking down the stairs without looking at my feet. I actually have that also. Now you do. No, I have always been... Oh. Like, in the fifth grades, another kid was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? He didn't say that, but... Um, basically, like, why are you such a weirdo walking with your hand on the banister and your toes pointed to the side looking at your feet? Like, why can't you just walk down the stairs? Yeah. And both of us have years of dance training. Yeah. So we took our, ballet our, for 10 years as kids and then tap and jazz, too. I danced for 14 years. Yeah. And then uh, I was a competitive swing dancer. Yeah. Like, I danced undergrad. a lot. My proprioception is real good like it's intuitively good to start with and then it because training trained. does improve it yeah yeah training absolutely improves it and the only way uh, i figured out that i have a vestibular disorder is when they took away my proprioception of my vision so here was like the moment of diagnosis for me of my vestibular disorder so I, I'm with a physical therapist. We're doing all these tests. And finally, she simply has me stand with my feet together on a like a squishy kind of gym mat thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Feet together, arms crossed over my chest like I'm a corpse. And I close my eyes and I fall over. Wow. And I said, but that's normal, right? And she said, no. Wow. <laughs> Only when you took away my vision and... My proprioception, which is why the mat was squishy, so I couldn't get information from my feet. Yeah. Especially because my feet were together. Like, I couldn't, like, stabilize my body. Right. It's it's very hard to balance when your feet are together. Yeah. yeah. And I was, you know, 34. Yeah. Like, that's not the level of balance a person should have. But did you have that earlier in childhood? I thought this came from you had a you had an ear infection and it damaged your vestibular system. It is unknown. It is oh maybe it was an infection, maybe it was antibiotics. These are all speculative. Mm -hmm. It could be that I have had this my whole life, and it has gotten worse as I became an adult. But all those fourteen years of dance lessons and the bicycle riding—that's about balance—and the yeah. rock climbing yeah. and the 
swing dancing, like all of things are, these are high balance demand skills. Yeah. So like the fact that I have been training my body my whole life in balance compensated for the lack of basic balance skill. Like I trained my proprioceptive system so thoroughly. Yeah. That I was compensating all the time. You were also a singer. You sang in choir this whole time. And um, listening, I don't know, perception of music is also related to your cerebellum, your perception of motion in time. And like, so this inner ear function, this like little bubble we have where we can sense vibration evolved from what used to be the inner ear of a of a fish like the swim bubble or whatever swim bladder in a fish oh i don't know about this the swim bladder in a fish helps keep it upright right but it also lets it sense vibration in water so it is it's proprioception and it's hearing in one and so in our brains eventually this turned into our our inner ear which is involved both with that balance and with hearing so perception of music um interacting with music is a function of the inner ear, obviously, because it's, you know, dealing with vibration and hearing, but also with balance and proprioception and movement. So, I mean, I'm just saying the music that you made probably didn't have zero impact. Probably not zero. Yeah, it was probably part of it. And one of the main things I was doing was dancing, which also necessarily involves the music. Right. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. And we, I think I talked last time about... Um, skill that blind people develop is being able to assess their position in space and the shape of the space by hearing the way sound echoes around them. They're basically echolocating like a bat. So they're using their extra reception of hearing to compensate for not having the extra reception of vision, which is like a really important part of the way we manage our proprioception. Like, by looking at how far away something is, you can tell the velocity at which you need to move a body part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People need to move slowly when their vision isn't good, when their balance isn't good, or when their proprioception isn't good. Hmm. Because they cannot anticipate what velocity will be safe to move at. Right. So they go slowly as a safety measure. Right. Protective. And I have always moved fast. That is, it was a joke in our family that uh, they, they were going to get me a jacket that said leader of the pack because I always walk like five feet ahead of the rest of the group. I walk very fast. I always have. Yeah, I used to, too. <laughs> I am a, I'm not natively fast. Like, I'm not a fast runner at all. I was never a fast cyclist. It's only in walking and talking and sort of like the, the sort of buzz level of my body. It's not that I am fast. It's that my body vibrates fast. Yeah. Yeah. And I needed all the proprioception and vestibular input that I could get to make that safe. And one of the cues that I needed to get assessed was that I kept falling down when I would run with my dog. Yeah, There were holes in the knees of my running leggings and and my gloves that I wore when I ran in the Mm. winter. Holes, Mm -hmm. because I'd fall down and catch myself on the palm of my hands. Yeah, and your knees. Yeah, and uh, turns out that's not normal. Yeah. (laughs) So what I'm wondering now is you did all that training, all that running, all that biking, all that dancing, and 
you kept your proprioception and your balance. And I think I'm just, I, I let's clarify the relationship between proprioception and balance because I feel like they're all very, very, very closely related. They are. You can improve your proprioception. One of the physical therapies that's been recommended for me is like a wobble board or a balance board. Yeah. Like, and, and right, that's increasing balance. Yeah. But uh, I'm terrible at them because my balance is terrible. <laughs> and the specific nature of my terrible balance is, so there's nothing wrong with the external, like my proprioceptive system, those three, like the joints and the muscles and the tendons yeah. are all sending really solid information. My brain is really good at interpreting that information. Where I go wrong is in the vestibular system, which is that sort of like the junk in your ear mm -hmm. that like it sends at least three different kinds of information to your brain about so the position of your body in space. So like, are you turning? Are you right. going up or down? My brain is not great at integrating all the different kinds of information. People with my kind of vestibular disorder, if they put you in the dark and they strap you down to a table <laughs> that can like tilt you up and down and it can roll you side yeah, to yeah. side. Yeah, yeah. The amount of movement for a person with my disorder is like, whoop, like almost none. In the dark, we can tell that we are being moved with the minimum that the table is capable of moving when it is a combination of a roll to the side and a tilt up. Wow. So imagine you're like lying in the dark on a table with your arms at your sides and the table, it just, it goes up and to the side. Whoop. Most people cannot tell that anything happened. Hmm. Right? Because there's no proprioceptive information. You have not moved any body parts. Right. Does that clarify the... So proprioception is more about understanding where you're limbs are your extremities all of your organs because voice too remember oh yeah okay so organs and and the balance how you are moving your stuff how your stuff is yeah coordinating itself out in the world gotcha. so that you can touch your nose so that if you're standing with your if you're if you, you just have your arms out with your pointy fingers yeah and instead of touching your nose you just want to bring your fingertips together right right can you do that Bring your fingertips together. Okay. Boop. Can you do that? Yeah. Okay. That's proprioception. Vestibular is when you don't move your board, the board moves you. You don't move your body. You're immobilized and they move you. Can you feel that you are being moved? Okay. I gotcha. Sure. And the problem with my brain is that it can tell all of the movement. Way too much movement. Yeah. So when I'm in a car or a train or a plane or a bus, I have no proprioceptive information. All I have is vestibular information. My brain is like, no. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Okay. I Which definitely is why. understand this better now than I did. So Rich had the brilliant idea. We were at Disney World and I really wanted to ride the monorail. Yeah. Because it's the monorail. And Rich had the idea. That I should pretend I was driving the monorail. Yeah, yeah. 
So I would stand up, I would hold onto the bar and I would like tense my abdomen and like engage my feet with the floor and like move as if I were steering. Mm -hmm. And I would look out like out to the front of where the monorail was going so I could see where the turn was coming up, anticipate it and move my body with it. So I was giving myself all this proprioceptive information. Mm -hmm. I was helping my body. I was giving it all the visual information. I could, of course, hear everything that was going on. And it reduced my motion sickness. That's amazing. Yeah. Because motion sickness is caused when there's a disconnect between the proprioceptive information and the vestibular experience. Yeah. Which is why if you get motion sick on a boat, they tell you to look at the horizon. Right. Cool. So what's our what's our um, practical, concrete, specific thing that people can do to listen to their bodies and learn about proprioception? My my clearly my instruction is everyone should practice Tai Chi. Yeah. Spend get get a good Tai Chi instructor. Find somebody who's not just going to teach you the choreography, but talk about your weight and your balance and your energy and and ask you to attend to the motion of your body and your uh, alignment because as we have talked about this is a learnable skill you can literally train these cells to become better at their job yep. through practice and emily i was the thing i was getting to before was i wonder if through your adulthood as you have stopped dancing and uh, singing and um riding your bike maybe you've reduced the amount that you're training the system and maybe that's why it kind of got worse mm, or maybe i stopped doing those things because they got harder and harder and it was too sad yeah i yeah, mm-hmm yep feelings oh that yeah that's so my recommendation is yoga and you ha again you have to find a really good teacher i stopped practicing yoga as my balance got worse and worse and worse like i i fall down i fall down a lot mm -hmm. i fall over because my muscles and bones and joints are having to compensate for the fact that my brain does not know what to do. Yeah. So yoga is extremely hard for me. Yeah. And I spent my life, you know, as a dancer and a rock climber and cyclist. And to yeah. lose my balance in public is like against my whole identity yeah, of yeah. the kind of person that I am. And so I have to practice yoga at home. And uh, Jessamyn <laughs> Stanley, who leads Underbelly Yoga, yeah. which is an app you can download as $10 a month, is she's body inclusive and ability inclusive. Mm -hmm. So she talks like half moon pose is my fucking nemesis. Yeah. I, I fall down a lot. And she talks explicitly about like, if you fall down, you fall down. All you have to do is get up. Anybody who would laugh at you, they're the asshole. <laughs> they're an asshole if they would laugh at you. You just get up. You just keep doing what you do. Yeah. And it was like the first time I heard it, like I'm like sobbing while I'm doing well, I, yoga. Like I have permission I to fall down. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a failure just because my brain can't do a thing it used to be able to do. Yes. I also cry through a lot of underbelly yoga. Yeah. <laughs> So, and for me, it's partly about the body acceptance, but a lot of it is about the ability acceptance that yeah. uh, my balance is not what it was. It will continue to get worse. I can compensate for it by making my body strong and practicing yeah. balancing. So now that I know about the voice's proprioception, it also occurs to me that I have spent 
I mean, multiple days every week, singing and speaking with intention. Like when I lecture, I am consciously choosing how I use my voice. And even when we do the podcast, I'm I'm careful about the choices I make about... Yeah, you're so much better at it than I am. I, I have 15 years of training. Yeah, you should and be. So, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I weren't, that would be... That would be, that would be embarrassing. It'd be real bad. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know... Um, I got a I got a YouTube post from somebody who listens to the podcast and says that she can't tell the difference between us and she listens as though it's basically just one person talking. She's really never sure which one of us is speaking and I was like a lot of people say that. Ugh. Like but I sound so different from <laughs> No, I think anyway. we sound really different too. Yeah, because we're we're attuned to the different. Anyway, <laughs> but there's a lot of factors that go into the recognition of a voice. There's like my, I, I know, but my pride about like how Aww, careful I am about how I use my Amelia. <laughs> they think I'm Emily. That's sloppy. No, I'm just kidding. That's not. I'm, that's not really how I feel. No, you are better um, at it than I am. <laughs> no, but like apparently not so much better than people actually notice. Uh, plus, like you know, what microphones, headphones are people using? What is the quality right. of the sound they're receiving? Yeah, and sometimes I use my good fair hardware and... is not good enough for how good you are, Amelia. <laughs> Uh, yeah so yoga is my proprioception because but it, what i was saying is that um maybe maybe speech therapy or uh, uh singing would be a because that's not part of your identity you don't feel like you're a person who has a nice voice no whereas i do so maybe if it's not part of your identity it wouldn't be so like disappointing to be bad at it at first no then i have the like i'm not as good as amelia i'm never going to be as good as amelia why am i bothering to do this this is amelia's thing we have always had that we're like this is your thing this is my thing even when it was like books like gone with the wind oh so embarrassing oh my god but gone with the wind was my thing and rebecca was your thing yeah <sighs> yeah so voice is your thing but oh okay but for anybody else, for anybody else <laughs> who, doesn't who doesn't have a twin sister who's literally a professional singer, <laughs> if if if, and Alex also our mother is a professional singer, we grew up with her singing and playing the piano, sounding like a professional. <sighs> you got some baggage to unpack, girl. <laughs> Around my voice, yes, sure. <laughs> but I have other baggage that takes priority. I, I got. I feel you. I feel because you. my voice is fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So if anyone is like, well, what's a thing I can do? Uh, yoga's too hard. Tai Chi is boring. Tai Chi is boring. Uh, it's not boring. There's so much to pay attention. You think it's boring because you already know all the information. I have to go like exploring to discover right. my feet, my hips. Wow. It's very exciting. Yeah, for me they're they're mere existing. It's all new for you. Whereas I need I need downward facing dog to force my body to be like my hips, my Achilles tendons. Wow, yeah. my arms and my shoulders. Oh, my yeah. neck and my head. Now I can feel my body like it's so different this way. It's so different. So 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 maybe for people who are like that's not a thing that I can do, especially if they have you know physical disabilities that don't allow them to yeah. do things that involve things, singing. Yeah, one of the only things I have done my whole life that has really challenged my understanding of feeling, and this is one of the things I talked about with Allegra, is in voice lessons, voice teachers ask, "What did that feel like?" Because you want to try and give 
the student a way to verbalize what just happened because then they can find their way back to that same sensation because the sensations are so not physical. They're so like an acoustical sensation. What is an acoustical sensation and how you describe it? Like it was, it was, it was shiny. It was edgy. It was, it was, it was warm. It felt spacious. It, it, it felt like my voice was, was rising in an elevator shaft inside my pharynx. Like these are the, you ask students to come up with this so that they can locate it again and teaching students mm -hmm. to go back to acoustical sensations that they've only accessed once or twice before and get them to make it habitual that that's how you learn to sing and that's um that's proprioceptive training isn't it yeah at a sort of like muscularly small scale and um and that's anyone can... i like i like big muscle stuff i always have yes yeah. Dancing and yoga and rock climbing. So good. Well, lots of people don't have access to Right. That. I know. <laughs> so singing or or possibly just speech therapy. And I'm not sure if you went to a speech therapist and said, I want to work on speech therapy because I want to learn how to listen to my body's proprioceptive whatever. Um, I'm not sure that they would have a, a course for that. But if you said, you know, I talk too loud and I want to learn to modulate my voice. Mm -hmm. Speech therapy could be a way to make that happen. Or if you went to um, a vocal coach and said, I want to learn microphone technique, you know, how to speak into a microphone from different distances, different kinds of microphones, how to modulate the speed and tone of your voice. And you'll probably also learn a little bit about registration and pitch modulation. Yeah. So there's lots of ways that you could study voice. What's registration? Uh, registration is the difference between the thickness of the vocal fold versus the length of the vocal fold. So because like a rubber band, when you stretch it, it becomes thinner. A vocal fold can do that, or it can stay fat as you stretch it, or it can stay thin as you release it back into its shorter state. So when you keep the muscle thick as you stretch it like you keep a, you stretch a rubber band and it stays fat imagine that that's belting like that broadway style kind of shouty pop singing right um and when you let the rubber band stretch and become very very thin that's when you go into head voice which is like the classical kind of tone the julie andrews whatever and there are more registers above that and and there's a register below um belt or or like the speech the short fat thing when you make the vocal folds as thick as they get and as short as they can go they lose their capacity to vibrate in an organized way and they create a white noise that's called fry uh yeah that's registration oh okay so it's head voice chest voice whistle yeah except that those labels are bullshit like yeah. they don't mean there's nothing about your head there's nothing about your chest that's happening yeah what's really happening is the length and 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 thickness relative length and thickness of your of your vocal folds well now i know yeah and it's not just your vocal folds it's a lot of other muscles and cartilages around the it's your voice box right yeah the vo the voice box yeah all, all of it it's made of cartilages and um and muscles and um there's one bone which is the hyoid bone that your tongue is attached to which is why sometimes you see singers tongues vibrating with their vibrato uh -huh. it's because they've got muscles engaged that oh. are keeping their hyoid bone moving in concert with their larynx it's not ideal but that's why that happens 
So it might be valuable for your special interest to uh, inquire about the proprioceptors in the voice box. I got other shit going on. I think maybe. <laughs> well, <laughs> if anybody, like, I don't know. I don't know, like, where and what kind there are in in vocal production, but that would be interesting to know. And it's yeah. a way that people can access proprioceptive training. What I know is that most singers learn by engaging their imagination and experiencing sensations that are not strictly physical. If you can feel physically what's happening in your larynx, you're probably doing something to harm it. Anytime I can feel, like when I do like the vocal fry thing, it, it hurts. Like because your voice isn't meant to do that all the time. It's a thing that's reserved for like special occasions. Um, like sprinting, it's the it's the it's the sprinting of of singing is the, uh, to do that. As long as you're doing stuff that's you know good for your voice and healthy, you don't really feel the physical sensations much. You 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 feel a thing you imagine, an acoustical sensation rather than a physical. Like when I was doing a little voice training because I was in a musical. For me, the vision was something like a really enormous brandy glass with a butterfly floating above it. Yeah. That makes total sense to me why you would have that sensation, yes. That's that's what it felt like, but it yeah. felt like nothing at all in my throat. Right, exactly. When I'm doing it wrong is when it feels like something in my throat. Which is, exactly, which is why vocal training is not about... It is physical training, but it doesn't... You can't say, put your larynx here, and here's how you make that sound. That doesn't happen. Your your voice is controlled by your subconscious, by your imagination, by your intention. So that that's why this makes sense to me. That Yes, it's controlled by your t- intention. That's the, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, you closing your eyes and touching your coffee cup is controlled by your intention to grab the handle. Your intention and then your ability. Right. And these things can be can be trained, can be improved through practice. Right. No? Right. Um, and the kind of practice we're suggesting is yoga, tai chi, and I, vocal I, training, this is actually dancing, like, funky, rock climbing. I, I have had, like, a revelation Yeah. that all of these forms of proprioceptive training are only superficially about increasing awareness of your body explicitly. Mm-hmm. They're all ultimately imaginative. Because you, you really, like, nobody is aware of their flexing muscle spindles or, like, their joint receptors, right? Like, yeah, you don't know that something is happening and nobody instructs you to, like, do anything to your joint receptors. The best physical therapists turn it into play and fun. Like, we're going to do this dance move. We're going to do this dance move. And you're dancing. And you're dancing. And you just watch the person do it and you do it yourself. And you don't have to be told what your joint receptor should be doing. Right. They give you an image of like, you are like reaching out uh, to pull a rope and you're reaching to pull a rope and you're reaching to pull yeah. a rope. It's all, it's all imaginative, proprioceptive training. Yeah. The best choreography instruction I ever saw was when I was doing Guys and Dolls and the choreographer was choreographing Take Back Your Mink and the performers in the chorus were supposed to hold out their hand with their wrist flexed and look at their hand, turn their head to look at their hand. And they all did it, and it was correct, but it wasn't it wasn't right. And she said, now imagine you're wearing, like, the biggest, fanciest, most amazing diamond ring. And they went, oh. And, like, so much happened in their bodies. Yeah! Yeah. Because intention. Because intention. 
And yoga is the practice of like recognizing the intentions your body carries around without you even recognizing them. Yeah. With neutral non-judgment. Yeah. My body's intention is to protect itself from going too far because it's afraid I'll fall down. Yeah. That's why I have pain. Oh. Yeah. So the moral of the story, this is sort of exciting for me that I learned something about how to promote proprioception and it's to uh, think imaginatively about intention. To notice what happens in your body when you shift your ideas about how your body moves. And there's practical ways people can go about doing that if they want to learn to listen to their bodies. Yeah, there's systems. And the reason that we talked about it in this place in the series is because this is when it happened for me is when I started. It happened in my 30s when I started practicing Tai Chi. That's when I really it happened understanding. for you right when I was like very seriously losing my vestibular <laughs> function. Yeah, it happened simultaneously with your failure of your. <laughs> Not a failure of my proprioception, a failure of my vestibular <laughs> Right, right. Because I can yes. drive. Why? Because I am using my body to control the car. Right. I don't have to. And like when I, like if I do get motion sick when I'm driving, mm-hmm. I use more of my body. I sit forward. I engage my abdominal muscles and all of my arms through my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I feel more connected to the way I'm moving. Yeah. I also imagine myself as like, you know, like on a truck riding through the jungles or whatever do you yeah like i make it like this is this is like adventure even though it's just potholes on a suburban road if i imagine it is like i'm driving a truck through like the jungles of whatever then i have made sense of why it feels like a big deal a dirt road in the jungle (laughs) yeah 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 okay so there's a book about singing, uh, singing pedagogy called Singing Redefined by Walter C. Foster. I don't think it's in print anymore, but it's all about, you know, instead of teaching singing by understanding the physiology of singing, teaching singing through engaging the imagination. If you sing, ooh, ah, and you tell your singer to do that, they will do that and it'll be accurate. And then you tell the singer, you've just seen the most amazing fireworks display. Ooh, ah, and it changes the color of the sound and everything about the presentation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is like advanced level stuff. I feel like if a person has gotten through just noticing light comes into their eyeballs and sensations on their skin. They've done the like two minutes of paying attention to brushing their teeth and sitting on a park bench like you started out with. And then you get to interoception where you like pay attention to your internal organ systems. And now you're paying attention to the position of your body in space. And one of the best ways to practice and strengthen that system is to think about intention and the story of your body moving through space like that's that's big difficult stuff yeah tai chi is actually like all those arm movements and things is you're imagining well i was taught to imagine this ball of light or a yin and a yang and it's 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 a big ball made of two paisleys and like now you move your hands apart and you're separating the two halves and then you combine the two halves again or, or embrace Tiger Return a Mountain. There's a story behind each one. And um, I think the thing that I was perceiving back in 2008 when I was like, I don't know what those people are doing, but I think Tai Chi is a thing that conductors should be able to do. You were perceiving the ball of light. I was, yeah, I was perceiving the story that they were experiencing. They weren't just moving in choreography. They were telling, I mean, this is what dancers do too. They're, they're telling a story. They have an intention. And just like the diamond ring, 
It's the intention that makes the movement really purposeful and, and beautiful and compelling. And indeed, that is what conductors need to do, is make sure that their gesture has a purpose and a story, and that's what will make it compelling. And I think where we got to is starting from the bottom up of just noticing information coming into your body. And now we've really gotten to a place without even meaning to of being top down. Yeah. You notice the story and you notice how it changes your experience. Yeah. And most of my training came story first with singing. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I find yoga so much better than... Tai Chi, yeah. for me personally, partly because it's a more intensive physical experience right? Um, and partly because it's about noticing the story that's happening and being like, that's not the story. There's no story right now. It's just your body. Hmm. The only and, and I had been learning Tai Chi at first just as here's what you do with your body. And what I was missing was the story. Oh, we landed someplace I did not expect to land. Oh, yeah. This thing about. I mean, it's 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 absolutely stuff that's true. Um, yeah. The thing about the intention and the movement and how that's so closely related with why this started working for me as I started applying like basically vocal technique to the technique of, of noticing my whole body. Yeah, which is, I mean, there's a level at which I can imagine I... 10 years ago would have been like, no, no, you have to pay attention directly to your body. You have to feel your body. And now I know, like, I've come far enough as a person and also gotten deeper into the science to know that, like, awareness of the story and the metaphor is valid. Direct awareness of your body. Like, it's it's not different. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, which, and whichever direction is most helpful for people. Top down, bottom up. They're both helpful. Yeah. Depends on what you what you personally need, which may vary from day to day. But if you start with your feet and that's and that's not enough, then you know, think about your place in the universe. And that does it for this episode of the Feminist Survival Project. Stay tuned for next time when we go one step further into Amelia's gateway to her body through her dreams. It's not something that works for me, <laughs> but everybody's different, even identical twins. So it's another important tool for understanding and being able to listen actually how to listen to your body. See you next week. And thank you for listening. They think I'm Emily. That's sloppy. No, I'm just kidding. That's not, I'm, that's not really how I feel. No, you are better um. at it than I am. <laughs> no, but like apparently not so much better than people actually notice. The Feminist Survival Project 2020 is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.